Hi, everyone. I'm Tom Jenkins, Fire Chief with the City of Rogers, Arkansas, and the IAFC President in 2017 to 2018. And I'm Sheldon Gilbert, former Fire Chief of the Alameda County, California Fire Department, and now Chief Executive Officer of Emergency Services Consulting International, or as we like to go by, ESCI. And this is the iChiefs Podcast. If you're searching for new ideas, looking to improve your leadership skills, and wanting to make a difference within your organization, this is the podcast for you. We encourage you to join us as we engage with fire service leaders who discuss the challenges and opportunities facing you and your agency. We'd also like to take this opportunity to thank ESO for sponsoring this episode of the iChiefs podcast. ESO offers an integrated suite of software products for EMS agencies, fire departments, and hospitals, and it's transforming the way that first responders collect, share, report, and analyze critical information to improve community health and safety. Visit ESO.com to learn more about their full fire records management system and EPCR software. Welcome to the iChiefs podcast series. Uh, we're much like everything else. We're still uh, deep in the heart of COVID and talking about what the coronavirus has done to our fire and emergency services and how we need to react and prepare. And we've talked um, already in several episodes about what needs to be done uh, to, to, to react today, to take care of our volunteer firefighters and take care of our career firefighters and, and what's going on on the front lines, especially in places like New York when they were inundated early on. But today we take a little different approach, and we talk about what good, what the silver lining is in such a horrible experience as this pandemic has been. And so today we talk about COVID-19, the long-term lessons, and what we hope uh, we'll, we'll make the fire service and emergency services stronger, and uh, delighted to be here, of course, with my friend Sheldon Gilbert as we um, get to visit with a stunning guest today. Thank you, Tom. It's an honor to be here again with you. And, you know, we were, we were talking earlier that I, um, I started as an EMT and a paramedic back in 1982, and so uh, we talked a little bit about COVID and N95 masks and science-driven solutions to fire service problems. And uh, so I went back and did a little research. When did I actually get an N95 mask to use for healthcare reasons? And it was in about 1995. And so um, we have learned over the years that science matters, and, and we're really, really honored uh, to be joined today by Sarah Janke. Uh, Sarah is the director and senior scientist for the Center for Fire Rescue and EMS Health Research, sometimes just called the center. And Sarah, I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today. Uh, and I know that you're working on, and the center's working on a whole lot of things in addition to COVID-19. So I thought maybe as a starting point, and then we can kind of drive it down the funnel to COVID-19 and what's going on with that. But what are some of the things that you're working on, that the center's working on, and, and where is science taking us as an industry? Um, well, I'm really excited to be here. I appreciate the invitation and excited to be having this conversation in particular. But um, the work that we've done in the past over um, a little bit more than a decade in the fire service um, has focused on, focused on everything from um, cohort studies, looking at things like risk for injury, cardiovascular risk factors across time, um, a lot in behavioral health. That's what my, um, what my doctoral degree is in, um, looking at how you can make a more resilient workforce. We've had some work um, that the team has a lot of experience in epidemiology and, and stats and, and uh, 
in substance use, so we've done a lot in tobacco, alcohol. We've done some studies on the health of women in the fire service, which has been really interesting. Um, some on focusing on like bullying and harassment and diversity and inclusion right now, given that's an interesting um, uh, topic nationally, but I'm kind of working in that area to develop some deliverables. So a little bit of everything, but um, not excited that COVID happened, but fascinated by the way science is being used in it and used in the fire service. And I'm optimistic about how it can make some changes moving forward. Sarah, one of the things I've always admired about you, and, and I try to keep my compliments to a minimum, but, uh, you know, you're, you're an organic researcher in fire and EMS because your dad was on the job. He's a former fire chief. Um, you know, your family has a ton of affiliations in this business. And so, you know, you come by your interest and your passion for all of these topics, COVID included, but, you know, I mean, your notoriety is really with everything health and safety, I would say, um, having to do with firefighters. And, and so one of the things I'm curious about is, is with your spectrum of knowledge and, and all the things that you've researched, you know, where is, where is COVID on the, on the spectrum of, of impact to our business? I mean, what, what should we, where should we be ranking this and how, how attentively, attentively should we be trying to you know, take all these lessons learned from this pandemic? Um, well, First, I'm, I'm surprised to ever get complimented by you, but I, I do appreciate that. Um, I, I I really do think that this is one of those instances that um, it's kind of a p big paradigm shift in terms of the way you look at things. Um, one example that I, I think puts this kind of in perspective is I think 9-11 uh, really shifted the focus in terms of people realizing, wait, we're maybe not prepared for um, any type of terrorist attack. We're not prepared for uh, for for what that did to the fire service. And so there were all those efforts to improve at that point in time, um, preparedness and, and, and kind of an act at after action review of that and kind of how can the, the fire service work better and stronger um, post 9-11. And I think this is really kind of another shift like that. I think this is a, wow, we didn't see this coming. We didn't, we weren't able to predict kind of how things would have to change. Um, and, now that we're going to have that opportunity to kind of do that like national and, and department and individual and crew level after action review for like, how do you, how do you respond to this? What did we do that worked? What did we do that didn't work? And how can we take best practices and move it forward? Um, so I, th I think it's huge. I think it's right for the opportunity um, to make a difference and, and improve if we can, if we can do that. But I, but I think there's no better time than now to, to start those conversations. So Sarah, this is Sheldon. To, to build on that, so if, if I'm sitting around the, the station table listening to this podcast, like I hope many are, um, and we're realizing that science is driving a lot of the policies and procedures and best practices that we're all experiencing and striving for, can you kind of give us a how it happens? How, do, how, do, how does science and facts and determinants that are developed in the center, in the research center, in the laboratory, move to industry best practices and policies and procedures. How do you, how do you move your science to the fire station so we know how to implement it? How does that happen? Um, sometimes stumbling. I, I will say when we very first started research in this field, you know, in science, like you're even with like large NIH grants where you know you, you're 
you make or are, are given two point five million dollars over five years to study something, your output on that in science is to publish it in the peer review literature and to present it at a couple national conferences focused in on science and that's successful. When we first started doing that with the fire service stuff, we'd go, you know, FEMA has been funding under R and D um, these projects and they'd be like, So what's the output? And the first study we did, I think we published twelve papers off of it, which we were incredibly proud of. And the the modal number of publications um, from even an NIH grant is zero. So 12 publications and some high-hitting, we were super proud of ourselves. And FEMA was like, so what? Like, how does this affect the fire service? And I'm like, well, we have all this great data. And they were like, okay, that's perfect, but how does it affect the fire service? And so it really shifted the way I thought about. And I think the, the way that you get that make the science usable and you get it out there is things like this, like, taking what we learn from um, those and doing webinars, doing, you know, writing. Nobody reads the, um, you know, Journal of Occupational and Environmental Medicine and the fire service at the kitchen table, but they do read fire engineering or firehouse or rescue one, or, you know, they check the knowledge net at IAC. And so staying engaged with those types of things, I think really does make a difference. Um, presenting at the conferences, I usually at least have one or two sessions at FRI. And then based on that, you know, connecting with folks, I actually joined Twitter because people were on Twitter asking questions about firefighter health research. So I think it's, um, I think it, nobody cares about the, the peer reviewed publications. Well, I, I shouldn't say nobody, but very few people care about those, but I think the pieces and facts that come out of that and being able to really translate it and have a conversation, even around a kitchen table, you know, sometimes I'll be invited to eat dinner with someone and we talk about, well, here's what we found. What do you think about that type of stuff? Um, I think that's how it really gets out there and makes a difference. If you can make it into a meme, I think that's, uh, that's the, the sweet spot. <laughs> That's how you've arrived. Uh, good point. Great. Thank you. That that helps clarify how you move this stuff forward. Good stuff. Well, you know, one of the things, Sarah, that I've been, I think I'm embarrassed about actually in the middle of the pandemic is uh, I've been the fire chief here in Rogers for 12 years. We've, we run a paramedic ambulance service um, that's, you know, I mean, we're decent size. We're not huge at all, but uh, we do a good job and we're accredited from, uh, you know, from CAS and, and CPSC and I would say that prior to this pandemic, if somebody were to challenge me about, you know, how, how we handle, um, you know, PPE on EMS calls and just some of the more just some of the more mundane things we do that we're learning more and more important, I would say we do really good. And now, in the middle of the pandemic, and we were, you know, we were dealing with PPE shortages, you know, severe shortages early on. And, and and just all of the complicated things that, that we were having to do, you know, I was really embarrassed at how poorly prepared we were. And I was, you know, like Sheldon talking about a 17-year gap between his, you know, the, when he got on the job and when he got an N95. And uh, I, I no doubt had firefighters who were very unfamiliar with N95s and, and what they do and what they don't do. And I think we did a – I think of all the times our firefighters would treat mundane patients with seasonal flu, and we would do very, very little. While we're really good at PPE on fires, we would expose ourselves to people who likely had you know, influenza-like illness you know, left and right and, and not, not worry about it. And so – I'm frustrated with how ill-prepared I think we were as an industry because I know that you know my example is, is you know it's echoed everywhere. 
what what are you seeing? I mean, what are what are some of those things that that you think are here to stay? Maybe in terms of PPE or practice that that are you know are just they're they're good ideas, not just now in the middle of a pandemic, but forever. Well, I, and and again, like silver lining here. Awesome that people now understand more than ever about how diseases passed. I mean, it, who would have guessed that there would ever be conversation and uh, about like the infectious, how infectious something is, the row not of it, you know, ha- how virulent it is. Um, I mean, no one cared about that before. And now, I mean, the number of people that were surprised by the 65,000 people who die every year of the flu, like we should all know that because we should all be doing everything we can to avoid the spread of that. So I think things like N95, absolutely. I think really taking these illnesses seriously, really understanding where your high risk folks are and how to take care of them and respond to them, I think is, um, is key. I think understanding what the shifts are going to look like with different, I mean, even, even looking at, um, shifts in call volume and and how to get that data, how to use that data, where calls are coming, where they're peaking, where your high-risk areas are. I mean, those are things that it's not exciting. You know, you've been – so for so long, I think a good example is – and I think, Tom, you had mentioned the the cold storage fire. Like, after that, there was a lot of conversation about you need to know the buildings in your community. You need to know them inside and out. You need to – you know, there were were technologies developed to – prevent that from happening again. And I think this is a perfect time where it's, you can go, okay, where are the hotspots in your community that you should be most concerned about? We now know that, you know, um, nursing homes, obviously, we've always known that that's a high risk group, but now, you know, where, where else in your community are you being, seeing the heaviest hits from COVID or where would you expect to see it? But everything that I think is, is amazing is like in the past, who's ever tracked a disease and known hotspots and even known to watch kind of like the trends. Well, we know with the flu, there are seasonal trends with that. We know that you can track how it goes. And so now knowing like where to look for disease, um, you know, disease trends as they come and go is incredibly useful. So I think some of those types of pieces of information, understanding where to find them and what to do with them are, I mean, that's, goldmine for the fire service to be able to better do that and to use that you know i know fire is always fire and ems are always under fire for justifications of what they do um in the in the their communities and and how they're you know being used how services are being used i was recently on a call with Lori from the international public safety data institute just looking through um their what they can do in terms of looking at call volumes and shifts in call volumes and where you see kind of the hot spots. And it's amazing what data you can collect, how you can use that data, how you can use it to kind of shape what you, um, what you do, and then understanding what you might be seeing um, in terms of shifts in types of calls you're going to get. So there's some speculation um, and some work going on looking at like opioid overdoses um, and that as you see, what we saw post like Hurricane Katrina, and there was some nice studies done on, you know, ethnographic studies done on how did drug user um, behavior change when people didn't have access to their um, treatment facilities or their methadone. And I think we're seeing some of that, those things come up too. And like, how do you respond to that? You know, you're where before you might um, have been called to, to a scene and you were treating someone who, um, you know, now it could be someone who was, on methadone maintenance or was getting their prescriptions. It's changing the patients that you're showing up on, um, showing up seeing because they're folks who 
traditionally wouldn't have gone with anything from the street, but now they don't have services. I mean, it's just kind of the, the depth and breadth of what you can know now is just hugely different than even five years ago. That's a, um, that's a great point, and it kind of leads me to another question I have for you, Sarah, and that is probably much like consulting but a lot more. <laughs> Science is a garbage-in, garbage-out proposition. <clears throat> if you don't have good data going in the front, it's going to be hard to get accurate stuff coming out the backside as far as findings and recommendations. How do we as the fire service contribute to the necessary data for the center and for you to do good research? And I, I'm, I'm talking everything from you know, CAD systems to record management systems and then, and then exposure reporting systems and the importance of that. And, and how important is this data and, and, and how is it aggregated and are you comfortable with the way that it's aggregating and are we getting stuff to you at a national level that's usable and, and credible? I think it's getting better every day. I did mention Lori and the work that they're doing with Enforce. I think that and the capabilities of that um, are phenomenal. I think we need more people tracking. Um, and I think, like, on a national level, we need more people tracking. On an individual level, those types of exposure records um, can be, like, the difference in, depending on your state, getting coverage for things like cancer or not. So to be able to have access to that, I've had to argue that with attorneys as a, you know, when I'm a witness um, for, for the firefighter side, I've done that before. And, um, you know, the, the well, we don't know that they were exposed to that. I'm like, well, here's the list of all their calls. If, you know, which one is a house fire? That one had PVC pipe in it probably. So it's important at the individual level just as much as a, as a, a national level. And I think the, the progress that's gone on there, I highly recommend everyone download the Enforce app and track their, um, track their exposures across time. I know there are some other apps out there. I'm just not as familiar with them and haven't been um, in awe of the, the big data set that comes out of it like I am with the stuff that Enforce does. Um, I think take every opportunity. I, th I, I almost feel on the science side like we're starting to burn people out on the research. Um, but at the same time, I just think that so much progress has been made. I mean, last year there were less than 100 deaths, line-of-duty deaths, um, it, which hasn't happened. And that was the goal when, when FEMA started funding research was to decrease line of duty deaths for firefighters. And it, it, once we, the more we know, the more we can predict, the more we can step back and, and, and fix things before they're too broken kind of um, on all fronts. So I think the tracking and the data and, and participating in studies, I know it can be like total fatigue of filling out just one more freaking survey, but once in what any individual person's data is not all that important, but once you combine it with everyone else's, there is the national firefighter registry is going to be coming out. Um, NIOSH is heading that through CDC. That's going to be coming out. And that hopefully the next year we've been doing the, the prep meetings, but um, we're, the goal is to get several, I think, I think the goal is a hundred thousand firefighters that put their information in there. And it's, it's going to be a little bit intimidating. They are going to ask for social security numbers so they can track if you develop cancer, because um, that is it going to be in the, uh, those are in like death certificates. You can pull it later, but it's going to be a little bit of a tough sell to get that, but that's where we get the data about who's getting cancer, who's dying of cancer. So I think it's, um, and I think with COVID, you know, there are COVID trackers out there. I think every firefighter should be at least in one COVID study. They should be tracking their exposures every day. They should be tracking the tests that they get. And if they're positive, if they're negative, if it's an antibody test, um, every opportunity you get 
it's not a, and that's what I tell people. I'm like, it's not, they're like, what's the benefit to me? Well, there's really like no individual benefit for most of this stuff. It's, are you helping the next person? You know, are you helping the, the um, new recruit that just came on yesterday? Because that's who's really going to benefit from the data we collect today. But, you know, hopefully what we do today can, can save someone's life 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now. So. Right. Right. Agreed. Thank you. Well, Sarah, I, I think you brought up a lot of good points. That there's, you know, there's a lot of long term here, and and there's a there's a lot of opportunity, I think, for the fire service, which is tough to do when you're in the middle of a pandemic. It's easy to do an after action report or a post incident analysis on a fire, and walk away, you know, relatively quick and go, wow, we know we need to do better. We need, you know, revision of policy. We need different equipment. We need different training. We need more people. You know, this is one because of the duration, I think. It's just we we shouldn't get fatigued at the fact that we need to we kinda need to be keeping these good ideas that need to stick and we need to we need to make sure that, that we honor our, our obligation to the job to make it better, um, for all the points uh, that you've brought up today. As we as we kind of close out, I was hoping that you know, for firefighters that are listening to this and and, and the members of our association, uh, I, I was hoping that maybe you might have two or three kind of takeaways that that for your your average fire chief, your average firefighter, you know, here you have a PhD researcher who's done a lot of this work and understands it at a level that most of us don't. What what is what what would you say to them in terms of what do they need to be doing, thinking about? Um, asking themselves to make their department better in the long term after this pandemic subsides? So I would say the first one is is that tracking, is that track your exposures, track your tests. Um, we'll be pulling in the future, going back and being able to pull data out of that. Track like there's a great um, – COVID-19 tracker that's, I think it's out of Harvard, that you can download on your phone. It reminds you to track it every day. Um, track those exposures so we can learn more moving forward. So I think that's the, the big one. Enforce the um, COVID apps that are out there. Um, I would say another one, and, and actually I didn't touch on this much, but I think on the behavioral health side of stuff, this has been an interesting time. Um, and like you said, this isn't time limited. So there, we haven't had this like ability to, on the fire service level, do like that deep sigh of relief, like, okay, that's past, we're getting over it. Um, keep, keep, especially probably now more than most times, pay attention to each other, make sure you're taking care of each other. Cause this is a weird time. Everyone in the country is kind of freaking out, but fire service is like in this uniquely fire and EMS or in these, this like uniquely shitty situation. So I would say um, make sure your people are doing okay. People are typically pretty bad about, you know, noticing for themselves, but pay attention to each other. Like, and if you notice someone's off, make sure to, to reach out to them because it's a harder time to do that. I think than um, than it usually is. Uh, and, and then the third, I think just, it, again, this is not going away anytime in the near future. Um, kind of keep the, what, what are we doing? What's working well? What's not working so well? And staying engaged with each other. I mean, even through, you know, I know ITS has a lot of the conversation kind of nationally going on. Um, share lessons learned, like what worked well, what didn't, because this is untested territory in so many ways for so many. And 
where I think the nice thing about a total after action review is then you can sit down and discuss all that kind of stuff. But I'm surprised at the number of departments where I've talked to them where they're like, we don't know exactly what we're doing here. Any suggestions on this Um, in terms of, especially on the behavioral health front, but kind of in all heard a lot of conversations between chiefs, like, how are you guys handling that? What are you doing? So I think just staying engaged and realizing that this is evolving. No one has the perfect answer yet, but um, that, that, knowledge exchange has to has to keep going those conversations are are important those would be my three i think i think those are great and uh, as i expected you've been a wonderful guest and and i think on the behalf of the fire service it's probably important to point out that we appreciate the work you do for us that i know you've been you've been in rogers and we participated in some research and you've done you've done a fantastic job um you're you're often one of my top you know three or four phone of friends when i have a uh, you know, an issue that I need to solve with science rather than rhetoric. And so I, I appreciate you. And I know that uh, those of us on the job um, and and we, we know how important it is for us to have data and research and people that, that have our backs. And uh, you certainly, uh, you know, all joking aside, you walk the walk, you talk the talk, and, and uh, you're certainly deserving of, a, of, of our appreciation. So thanks for joining us today. And, and uh, like, Sarah mentioned uh, the the Enforce, the National Fire Operations Reporting System, has an exposure app that our listeners can download, and uh, and that's a free way not just to track COVID-19 exposures, but exposures across the gamut from a mental health, from a physical health standpoint. And so that's a free app that uh, we use here, um, and I, I think it's vital and will pay dividends in the long run, uh, not just in data collection, but in taking care of our firefighters. So we certainly encourage our listeners to. Uh, download that app and take care of themselves. We'd also like to take this opportunity to thank ESO for sponsoring this episode of the iChiefs podcast. ESO offers an integrated suite of software products for EMS agencies, fire departments, and hospitals, and it's transforming the way that first responders collect, share, report, and analyze critical information to improve community health and safety. Visit ESO.com to learn more about their full fire records management system and EPCR software. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the iChiefs podcast series. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for joining us for this iChiefs podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or Spotify, where you can subscribe and be sure to never miss a show. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next month.